Hello, you are listening to the podcast version of The Flat Circle, a True Detective after show hosted by myself, Chris Ryan, and my buddy, Jason Concepcion. You can check us out on video on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook at The Ringer Accounts. We will also be live after the True Detective finale next Sunday night. We're here to investigate the case of the final country with the simple question, when does a crime become a conspiracy? Becca? Becca? Becca, are you packed yet? That's Leia. This is The Flat Circle, a True Detective After Show. Welcome to The Flat Circle, a True Detective After Show. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm Jason Concepcion. And we are here to talk about Episode 7, the penultimate episode of the third season of True Detective. The episode is called The Final Country, and I would bet my life that it is a reference to this James Crumley novel. James Crumley, one of the great crime fiction writers of the post-World War II era in America. You read one page of James Crumley, you know absolutely that he's been an influence on Nick Pizzolatto, so I bet that is a tip of the cap to him. As always, we're going to go through the who, what, when, where, and why of this case uh, as we get closer and closer to some sort of conclusion. Let's start with the what. Uh, Lots of what. So what did we learn? Uh, Start in 1990. Wayne goes up to the drinking tower at the Devil's Den where he finds Roland already there sitting beside the body of Tom Purcell. One shoe has been kicked off and is several... Flights below, bullet hole in his head, a gun, and a typewritten suicide note nearby. Love to typewrite a suicide note. Which is sort of Wayne's point. Is like, you think this guy in this moment of distress sits it's down, like, right, changes the tab, ribbon. Tab, 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 <laughs> Ding! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amelia visits Margaret at her home where she's uh, got a little craft shop going. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like normal stuff. Yeah. She is making a wreath for Tom who has passed away now, right. uh, doesn't understand why he'd kill himself now. Amelia asks if Lucy ever knew uh, a black man with one eye. And Margaret says, no, she knew a lot of men, but not, not a man like that. And Amelia tells Margaret about the theory that that man gave Julie a doll on Halloween. And Margaret says, Halloween? Wait a second. And she goes, she gets a photo and shows Amelia the photo that we've been talking about, clear photo of the Purcell kids in front of Margaret's house, two ghosts in the background. Right. And that that's going to essentially be one of the main questions that we yeah. have of the last episode is, is who are those ghosts? Because they were clearly the mechanism through which those kids got, uh, got abducted. Yes. Margaret, after a little bit of a fight, relents uh, to allow Amelia to borrow the photograph. I also would just say really quickly about Margaret, if, if you yeah, got a second. Sure. Please. You know, Amelia's investigating this case just like Wayne is, just like the lawyers for Woodard are, just like Eliza is. So she's pretty familiar with the ins and outs of the case by this point. And she goes into Margaret's house and she finds herself basically in a pagan craft store. <laughs> and there's just wreaths and mannequins yeah. and what looks like like a fair amount of dolls. But in 1980, it was like dolls, man. I don't know. I know. She's Who's got dolls. She's uh, about 20 years too early for Etsy. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a normal vibe. Probably going on like in one of those house. early eBay stores where it would just be like one thing on a shelf. Yeah, we're just making wreaths yeah. as one does. Anyway, um, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, absolutely. With the case now essentially closed, Wayne is packing up when he receives Lucy Purcell's Nevada phone records. This is gangbuster stuff. They yeah. indicate that Lucy called a number, which turns out to be Harris James' private line at Hoyt Foods, several times before her death. And that following this, James flew to Nevada 
right before Lucy died, and then flew back the day after her death. Right. Obviously, this is huge. Amelia goes to the bar that Lucy used to work at and discovers that her cousin Dan, Lucy's cousin Dan, was seen there talking to a one-eyed man. Wayne shows Roland the phone evidence and convinces him that they need to interrogate Harris James at the famous... uh, Interrogation barn. The interrogation barn (laughs) uh, until he cracks. Which he does. Yeah, Roland is like, you know, this is a, a really bad idea. It turns out to be quite a bad idea because uh, Harris breaks free. He struggles for Wayne's gun and in that struggle is killed. Wayne and Roland bury his body. Wayne goes home, burns his clothes. The next day, uh, which by the way, Amelia sees and is like, hmm, what you doing? Yeah, just, just normal husband burning clothes in an oil drum stuff. Man, what a great relationship <laughs> to be able to be like, let's talk about this tomorrow. And Amelia to be like, okay. Yeah. Uh, so they do briefly talk about it the next day, but then that conversation is interrupted by the phone ringing. And who should it be but our good pal, who we have yet to see, Hoyt. The big bad. The big bad. We're hearing his voice for the first time. He is outside the home. He mentions Wayne and Amelia's children by name. And he says, we can either talk about this inside, or you can come out and talk to me out here. So I just want to say one thing about the 1990s stuff. Yeah. And we've, made, we've talked about this the ambiguity of certain characters and their intentions over the course of the season. And I thought that was really on display again in this Mm -hmm. episode where we still don't know what the black man with one eye, was he a procurer or was he a protector? If that's the same guy who shows up at the reading, why is he so interested in where Julie has gone seemingly in an almost paternal way? Or is he like, I need to silence her? And and so aggrieved by... The idea that someone would try to write a book about this in a way that doesn't intimate guilt in a crime. Yeah, it's like you're almost mad that yet another person is sort of profiting or yes. taking something from Julie Purcell. So I just think that like even as we hit this last episode, I still don't know what's up with Amelia. I yeah. still don't know what's up with Eliza. I still don't know what's up with the with Margaret, with the one-eyed black man. To some extent, I don't understand if we've gotten the full picture on Roland yet. We're still kind of like in this gray area with a There's lot of characters. so much downloading left to do. Yeah. Now we enter a timeline that we have not yet seen. 2005, we assume. I'm just putting a question mark by that because... It's about when Becca would go to college. About when she would go to college. Wayne is taking Becca to college, and this is our first look at Becca as an adult and our first foray into this timeline out of the original three. Her father is helping her move her stuff, um, and they seem to have a great relationship at this time. So what went wrong, what happened, we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah, and it's like she mentions not wanting to go Mm -hmm. to college, but she feels like she needs to. Again, ambiguity. That could be something that any college freshman says, but it also could signify or suggest that something has happened in the West, uh, the, sorry, the Hayes' lives that would make her uh, a little bit hesitant to leave behind her father. Yes. Crucially, though, Amelia's not there. Uh, we spend the bulk of this episode in 1990 and 2015. So in the 2015 t- timeline, there's a lot of uh, interviews with Eliza. Eliza asks about Tom and if Wayne ever doubted that Tom's death was a suicide. Wayne denies this. He denies a lot of the stuff that Eliza asks about, even though she seems to be really right on the, on the right track. She brings up inconsistencies with the original ME report, noting that uh, there was uh, an indication that there was a contusion on the back of Tom's skull, and Wayne is like, well, you know, his skull was blown apart. You couldn't really tell anything about that. And then are you implying that somebody knocked him out and then carried him up the steps? Right. Um, which, by the way, the shoe would kind of seem to 
indicate that? Anyway, uh, Eliza notes that Tom's death ended the 1990 investigation just as uh, Woodard's violent confrontation right. ended the 1980s. Authorities always looking for a punctuation mark at the Easy end out. of a sentence to say, okay, we're done. Okay, we're done. We're going to put this all away. Uh, Roland arrives while Wayne is being interviewed by Eliza. Eliza asks Wayne if Amelia herself ever thought there was a wider conspiracy behind the Purcell case. Again, Wayne says he doesn't think so, though our flashbacks indicate that this is not the case. He then asks Eliza, well, do you have... Do you, do you know anything about evidence that? Do you have any evidence of that? Yeah. Eliza plays the video of the AG announcing Tom's suicide. Um, the AG concludes that Tom is the guilty party in the case, and that after being confronted with the phone call evidence, he, uh, racked by guilt, committed suicide. Eliza asks if Wayne is okay with these conclusions, and he says no, he's never been satisfied with any part of this case. Then Eliza brings up the one-eyed man, saying he might be named Watts, and she has a theory that this man was the procurer, um, as we've been saying. Right. Um, and she delves into her theory that the Purcell case is part of a larger shadow network of criminality spanning the country. She shows Wayne the crooked spirals, and says they're symbols of pedophile groups that they used to signal one another. And she had mentioned the crooked spiral earlier in the mm-hmm. season as well. Pulls up a newspaper story covering uh, Marty and Russ's 2012 case in which they arrested Errol, well, killed Errol, the serial killer, but notes that Though their case, the Marty and Russ case, indicated a wider conspiracy, none of that part of the case was ever broken open. And she she does she shows a bunch of the dolls that like mm-hmm. she's found that are symbols of pedophilia in in the underground. And she notes uh, also that part of her theory is that um, the Purcell parents sold their kids, perhaps with the help of Dan O'Brien, to some group, just as Marty and Rust. Uh, were involved with. Right. Wayne and Roland visit the Hoyt's former housekeeper. They ask about Harris James. They learn that Hoyt's daughter, Isabel, uh, they learn about Hoyt's daughter, Isabel, that her husband and daughter died in a wreck, and that after this, she never left the estate. This is a pretty common trope in crime novels. Mm-hmm. So for the viewer who maybe doesn't read a ton of crime fiction, that might seem sort of convenient when uh, the housekeeper shows up. Right. And they're talking about, like, she seems to have this wealth of previously unheard knowledge, but like read Raymond Chandler, Mm -hmm. read James Elroy, there's always a person like two-thirds or towards the last eighth of the book who pops up and is like, I have all the answers. It might seem overly convenient, but it's generally what you have to do when you have so many different threads going. You need somebody to pull them all together. This conversation is really fascinating. So we learned that she lived in like a basement area or an area that was separate from the house. Isabel does. Isabel did. And that she then got into a car accident, perhaps after escaping the pink rooms, and that post-1981, security at the residence was notably increased. And this involved a man named Mr. June, a black man with one eye who did not mix with the rest of the household so we would, staff. You would naturally connect Mr. June as Mr. Watts, as, as Watts, mm-hmm. who is also the person who showed up at Amelia's reading. Like that's, We're assuming that's the same character. Also, as you noted to me over text last night, yes, uh, Mr. June, Mary and, July, right, something there. And the idea of basically, if Mr. June is known as Mr. June inside of the Hoyt household mm-hmm. in the mansion in this compound, and Julie Purcell, let's just say, was in that pink room because obviously Tom comes into that room, sees in something the pink that room indicates and sees something that says Julie, right? If she's living there, 
this might be basically a fantasy world created down there. Yes. By Isabella or Mr. Hoyt or whoever, in which a man named Mr. June brings a secret princess named Mary July. And I don't, you know, we were still trying to sort of figure out the significance of the month being the last name there, but it's worth noting. Fascinating implications there also when you think about uh, Julie's line in the phone call, the man pretending to be my father, and who was on camera at the time. Right, there were three guys. When Julie's saying that. Right, there Um, was Tom and the two lawyers. Right. So Wayne and Roland are burning the midnight oil at Wayne's house. Um, they're going through Amelia's stuff and the case files. And while discussing the case, Wayne sees the car again idling outside. He goes out. Some real Hardy Boys action here. Uh, confronts the car, bat in hand. But that's just a distraction so Roland can take a snap of the license plate. And afterwards, Wayne goes into a fugue state again. His memories collapse and he sees himself burning his clothes after the Harris James abduction and murder in 1990. So let's just do a little bit of who. We don't have to belabor it. I mean, we talked about Becca already. Isabel, I think, is a really fascinating character that seems pulled from like, you know, Rebecca or something. It's this sort of woman wandering this house. She's isolated. She's emotionally disturbed. She's had trauma in her life with the death of Mm -hmm. her husband and her child. You know, I thought that it was pretty interesting and worth noting that uh, we mentioned earlier the similarities between the Hoyts and the Tyson family. Yeah. Of, uh, you know, and Tyson being this huge employer in Arkansas, obviously a, a huge uh, food poultry producer. In the Tyson family, John W. Tyson was killed in a train accident in the 1960s. And then his grandson, also named John, took over the company eventually. Um, I just thought it was really interesting that they've got this company in in, in the fictional world yes. of Arkansas that has some mirror images. Obviously, we're not saying that there's anything close to what what's happening with the Hoyts, yeah. with the Tysons, but Nick Pizzolatto is always drawing from real life to kind of inform his fictional universe. And I also just want to talk a little bit about Eliza. So I kind of felt like early on in the season— that Eliza was a storytelling mechanism. Right. That she was just there the same way the two other cops in season one who were interviewing Rust and Marty are kind of there to uh, bring about like a you know narrative. They're right. just like, tell me more, tell me more, tell me about this, tell me about that. But they're not actually sto- like in the story. They're not right. characters. But as the season's gone on, Eliza's role has gotten more significant. We know now that she's in some kind of relationship with Henry. Right. Wayne's son. I'm curious about whether or not that relationship developed before or after they started this process. As am I. That part of it is fascinating. Did Henry get approached by her Mm -hmm. and she was like, I want to do something about your dad and then they became romantically entangled in that part? Mm -hmm. Were they already romantically entangled and then Eliza was like, by the way, can I do something about your dad? I just think it speaks to her motivations. And the way that they're kind of depicting Eliza is kind of borderline, like, you know, like, she'd be, like, on serial. You know right. what I mean? Like, she's, like, she's investigating true crime. Right, an amateur, but uh, but a rigorous amateur. Yeah. Hewing to some kind of, you know, not to say journalistic, but journalistic standards. She's on camera. And, she, like, yeah. you get the feeling, like, this is some sort of, like, 48 hours, it would be right. on cable, like, kind of thing. The thing that is confusing to me about that is that, A... Eliza seems to have like a ton of sources. Yeah, this is something that's been investigated by state of Arkansas and the state police twice in mm-hmm. 1980 and 1990. And Eliza has person after person who she claims are witnesses, witnesses, witnesses say. She's, she knows about Watts. They couldn't yep. find that guy 
we, that, that, the whole time they were investigating in 1980 and 1990. And how hard only, could it be to find him is right, the other thing. You right. Know? She seems to have uh, follow-up medical re- reports, like follow-up coroner reports on Tom's body. Mm-hmm. She seems to have... The, she has the photos of Dan O'Brien and the right. quarry, the, the, the skeleton. She knows all about um, the mysterious plainclothes policeman who we now assume to be Harris James doing yes. questions, yes. Uh, questioning witnesses after the fact to try and find out what people know. So she's got all this information. Is she getting it from Henry? Yeah. Is she getting it on her own? And does she have some sort of motivation? Like, where does she want this to go? She says she's disappointed when she sort of presents this conspiracy idea that the Purcell abduction and murder is somehow related to everything that happened in Louisiana years right. before, she seems disappointed that Wayne doesn't see, see the connection. He's not unwilling to jump at this material. But she brings up another uh, scandal, uh, another conspiracy, and I think it's pretty telling that she does so. She mentions Nebraska. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what real-life crimes could have been influencing the show— that would probably have to be the Franklin County scandal, yeah. which was this infamous We've scandal about that it before. took place in Nebraska in the late 80s. It rocked this Nebraska town, and it was essentially, it stemmed from an investigation into a failing savings and loan. And this, this is a savings and loan that was supposed to service like more or less like underprivileged parts right. of the Nebraska community. And it was a pretty modest SNL, but when an investigation took place, they found a ton of off-money, off-book money missing. And then there was essentially this wildfire of conspiracy right. that suggested that this money was being used to fund essentially a child yeah. prostitution devil worship that also had hints of devil worship right. and drug smuggling. And if you can think of a nationally prominent politician in the late 80s, their name probably came up in the Franklin yeah. County scandal, but it was George W. Bush. By and large, excuse me, to be a hoax. Right. When the smoke all cleared, what remained was nothing. Yeah, people were charged with perjury. Yeah. Uh, the the orig- origins of the story seemed to come from somebody who had had like a professional agree- like a grievance with some of the mm-hmm. savings and loan people. There was some maybe some malfeasance on the part of the savings and loan, but like this wider conspiracy was proven to be a hoax or thought to be a hoax. The fact that Eliza is kind of kicking that can down the road as like this is also like this is real. Yeah. There's two ways to read that. It's Pizzolatto using this as like a way in which to give texture to the crimes in season one and season three. Or it's kind of like, it's kind of Eliza basically being a, a little bit of a quack. Yeah, it's like where on the scale of serial and Infowars does Eliza like yeah. fall? Now, and, and if her, and if her um, supposition is that the Franklin County scandal is legit, then she trends towards... Infowars quack. Yeah, and I think that I think her suggestion is basically that stuff like this happens. It involves really powerful people, mm-hmm. and it gets shut down. That's I I buy that. Right, and, and this is just fiction, anyways. It doesn't matter what I buy, but I, I I get what she's saying as a character. But I'm very curious as to whether or not we're going to find out something in episode eight about Eliza's motivations yeah. or background that we didn't know already. So that kind of brings us. To conspiracy theories, oh, my favorite part. to connections to season one, uh, to the larger True Detective universe, and I want to bounce one off of you really quickly. Yes, give it to me. I love this one. So the last scene set in 2015 <laughs> of the episode before we get the, uh, the the Hoyt caravan coming up outside the yeah. house is 
West and Hayes go out to investigate this sedan that's been idling outside of Wayne's house mm-hmm. that he claims to have seen usually at a point where he's in one of his fugue states. Right. Late at night, yeah. working too hard, and this happens. And the first time Roland didn't see it. He did not see it. This time they go outside to investigate, and uh, the car drives off. Roland has taken a picture of the license plate. They're walking down this road, and basically the next thing you know, Wayne is in an abyss yeah. of his own memory. He's walking in on his 1990s self. The fire's burning in his backyard. He's, he, sees, he, he, he sees himself with his top off, like burning his clothing. So th- that scene is shot in a very particular way, but really basically is. I'm not trying to get all sixth sense, but I do you think it. Roland exists? I do think he exists because we've seen stuff from his perspective. And he's talked much. to people in 2015 and he's outside to, of Wayne. Yes, he's talked to other people. We went to his house, saw him with his dogs way before Henry and, and, uh, and Wayne showed up. So I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of material separate from Wayne that would heavily suggest that Roland exists outside of Wayne's thoughts. If it wasn't for that Henry conversation, yeah. I would kind of be... We don't know what happens to Roland between 1990 and 2015. No idea. That, the only exception, I think, in 2015... I mean, he's along for the ride with Wayne. Obviously, they go talk to the housekeeper. I'm not saying that this is like a, like a kind of waterproof idea right. here. But there is something about Roland where he's like this spectral Dr. Watson... Yes. ...helping a Sherlock Holmes going through Alzheimer's. Another... Kind of jumping off that theory uh, is another theory that's been out on Reddit that I really like, is that Wayne, at times, is testing Roland. Yeah. Like, yeah, like so that, that, um, that time when they're working late at night and Wayne says he sees the car, but Roland doesn't see it. The supposition there is that Wayne, understanding that his memory's failing and that people could take advantage of him very easily because of this, is testing to see if Roland will tell him the truth. By saying, right. there's a car out there, do you see it? And then by Roland answering truthfully, saying, no, I don't, it's not, I don't see it out there, he knows that Roland, at least in this instance, is not trying to pull one on him. Right. Is not part of the conspiracy. Because again, these guys haven't seen each other in 20 years. Right. I mean, I, I think that there's validity to both theories. Mm-hmm. And I think that Wayne's like hyper-awareness that he at various points in the day and a week yeah. may have more or less control over his mind. But I, I still just, this is the kind of crucial image, right? Yeah. Is what is, where is this happening? Is this inside of Wayne's mind or is this on a street outside of Fayetteville? I mean, we have no idea what, they go out, they confront the car, and then what? Yeah. Does he go back and so we don't know. It just goes blank. Um, and this is, you know, obviously Pizzolatto and and Saulnier are trying to create this feeling in us where, you know, we're as confused as Wayne is. Yeah. We don't understand uh, sometimes where uh, one moment leads to the next. There are gaps in our knowledge, gaps that are just completely missing. So yeah, I mean it's it's a fascinating idea to to think about how much of Roland is Roland. We've been getting a bunch of tweets from uh, viewers and listeners, and we really appreciate you guys engaging in all this with us. We just wanted to shout out two that we got in the last few days. Uh, Joe Day tweeted at us and said he was re-watching season one, and in the first episode, the mother of one of the missing girls, Marie Fontenot, was last seen in Las Vegas, just like Lucy Purcell is in season three. There's no way that's a coincidence. It would be really interesting if this is a connection to season one, if there is this sort of 
five horsemen theory of multiple rich cabals, cabals of rich men yeah. running these child prostitution and abduction rings with pseudo-pagan religious uh, imagery involved in that. If Vegas is some sort of clearinghouse for some of it, yeah, which I, would make sense if you've ever been to Vegas too. I, guess. I mean, I like like uh, you know calling back on on Errol and the fact that we never go back, we never we never crack Billy Lee Tuttle, we never connect him to anything that's going on, although we think that he's tied to it or it's heavily suggested that he is. You know, I kind of like this idea that these like rich and powerful men use this imagery to kind of like uh, dupe these people that they use as their procurers or you know the handlers. To get them to do this yeah. stuff, to get them to buy into like this wider philosophy that either exists or it doesn't. Who knows? But it's pretty fascinating. John Barber also tweeted us and said that he was watching True Detective season two, which is largely unremarked upon on this show. Shouts to you, True Detective canon. But shout out to John Barber because he mentioned <laughs> Take that, the plunge. Uh, that Annie Bezzaridi's character, yeah. who's played by Rachel McAdams in season two. She talks about being abducted and taken into the woods by a strange man when she was a child. And I believe that her description of this scenario is she was taken out into the woods is similar to where they find Will. Now, yeah. I don't believe Annie was from Arkansas, but in terms of matching the pathology of these crimes, there's a lot of characters in the entire True Detective canon who go through very similar experiences, whether it's yeah. being abused as a child or losing a child in the case of Russ Cole. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I think that there's like a consistency to it. I would just say my favorite Reddit theory right now, before we get to any lingering questions that we have about the season finale, my favorite link Reddit theory is the Hoyt Purcell connection theory, which is essentially that Julie is actually a secret princess, that she is the Hoyt heir. And that we kind of assumed that maybe Dan O'Brien was the secret father of Julie, right. that Lucy and Dan had basically had shared milestones. But what if... Lucy slept with Hoyt while Tom was away, and Julie is actually Hoyt's daughter, and that she is pretty much the unofficial heir to the Hoyt fortune and to to, to all of that. Like that would m- give like a, a huge twist and also kind of explain why this is so repeatedly being silenced over the years. Man, Hoyt. Uh- Interesting. What if Hoyt's just like a totally normal guy? That's, <laughs> you know, like. I mean, I, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out, like, is there, uh, it, listen, this involves a murder and a child abduction, but is there, is there a world where their motivations for this are whatever the pure versions of motivations for doing something? It's such like a this? weird balance because, like, there's still like a school of thought out there that basically suggests, like, Amelia is in some way yeah. wildly, like, very responsible for a lot of what happened in 1980. And, uh, you know, the, you can go back to the Jungle Book scene where Amelia is reading the, 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 the story to her kids, and there's, like, resonance from the story, from mm-hmm. the Kipling story to the story that we're reading now, and that she could somehow have a role in this, but it's essentially. We've got one episode left, and I'm still kind of guessing as to what's happening. Let's talk about I, some of our other lingering questions. I want to. I want to throw out one more theory. Oh yeah, uh, two more theories. One of mine and one on Reddit. So there's another one that um, Mike Ardoin. Yeah. You know, working as a landscaper now and has been hired by these numerous places, including the charity uh, that Hoyt uses as a front, and there encountered Julie and helped her. His, break chi- out. his childhood. He's friend. the one who helped her escape. Yeah. Uh, there can only be so many bad guys, right? right. Like somebody has to do something good, right? And then another one, you know. So we go to 2005, we assume for the first time, 
and we see that you know Wayne is pretty sharp at this time. It's only ten years before, yeah. or, or roughly a decade before the 2015 timeline. He and Becca seem to have a really good relationship. So what happened, and why is everybody like she's in LA and wants to just like avoid this this topic? What if Wayne? He seems very fixated on driving her somewhere. What if while he's driving her somewhere, he gets into an accident, she dies, he gets some kind of head injury, yeah. and this is what exacerbates his current So there, there could be an element to it that is like everybody around Wayne not t- saying the thing that Wayne did. Right. Because Roland was like, you have to apologize to me. Right. You don't even know what you're saying sorry right. for. Henry seems pretty aggrieved towards Wayne. Every time, he brings, every time he brings up Becca, he's like, you know, something happens talk between about 05 it. and 2015 for sure. So, you know, what if it's something like that? That's all. I have a few lingering questions here as we head into this season finale. I really want to know who the white guy was in the office during Wayne's Vietnam vision. Right. You had it, all those NVA soldiers. There's some theories oh, that's Harris James or that's this guy who got shot at Woodard. It, it doesn't look like either of those it, characters. It does not look like the same actor. Yeah. So, but, is but it has to be Harris James, does it not? I guess so, but. I thought that the people in that office are people that Wayne has killed. Personally killed. And also, as you noted, he apologizes yes. to that guy. So why would you only... apologize to Harris James? Yeah. What role does Margaret have in all of this? I don't feel like she could have just accidentally been next to Lucy the entire ep- series. And then at the end being like, I'm just making wreaths. Peace. That, that, uh, she, the, my... my Thoughts on her shifted just a little in because she gave the photo up and seemed so, didn't seem as if she was aware of some kind of dark conspiracy. And she's so, like, somebody has to stay here to remember. Yeah. Which is a huge theme in the series season is just memory mm-hmm. in general. So she seems like she's doing, but is that like doing penance for something? Why is Eliza on this case for true criminal? What does she want out of it? We talked about that. Who is the aunt? Yeah, this is a that great That Julie one. tells friends about early in the season. Was this Isabel? Was this is like she was there some sort of contact before Halloween? Yeah. Isabel is this this aunt that she's going to see that they're like she did not have an aunt, so yeah. she was basically already getting information there. Uh, who were the ghosts on Halloween? Was that Isabel and Mister June? I'm going to go say that that's a yes. Okay, we'll find out that that's a yes. And we still really know what, why, yeah, wh- what happened to Will. Why? Yeah, why kill Will? Why if it's an accident? Why pose him? Right. And if it's like a ritual killing. What's up with that? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I, not to not to put too fine a point on it, but just like if it's if Will's death was was Will's death necessary to this, or was it kind of collateral damage? And why not why not take them both? And then who also who like in Hoyt Foods uh, conspiracy shadow empire is playing Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> like, <laughs> can you imagine like they go, they go to like the the staff meeting in the morning? and It's just like okay, uh, listen, you got to be a the couple ma- more finger injuries on the chicken kill one. <laughs> yeah. Also, just a general question. Any of you guys play D and D? Yeah, <laughs> any dun- a couple extra bucks. <laughs> any dungeon masters out there? <laughs> we will be back. We will be live after live. the season finale. Like really live. You guys can interact with us while we're on. We'll be on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Can't wait. Reacting to the season finale, which promises to be absolutely mind-boggling. A lot to pack into it. Yes, it is Oscar night. We will be far from the shallow as well. Uh, For Jason Concepcion, I am Chris Ryan. This has been The Flat Circle. See you next week. Just want to take another look at your wing. (laughs) 